0: That's IrishTimes.com forward slash events. I hope we see lots of you there.
1: It's Friday, September the 29th, and you're very welcome to the Inside Politics Wrap of the Week podcast from the Irish Times. I'm Hugh Linnehan. Harry McGee and Pat Leahy are here. Harry, it's been a while. Welcome back. Thank you so much, Hugh. Pat, I'm sick of the sight of you, but we have to have you back. So <laughs> I know soon. how you feel. <laughs> yeah, because I mean, as well as being political editor, you, we have to have you back because you're also master of polls, and we do have a poll this week. Tell us about it.
0: Yeah, we um, we have three days of of uh, of poll results this week. Um, started uh, yesterday, Thursday with the, what we call uh, in the Irish Times, the Beauty Parade, as in the um, top line results from party support and government and leader satisfaction. Uh, Good news for Sinn Féin all round. Uh, really they're up by three points to 34 there had been a bit of a uh, uh, a bit of a fall off in support for Sinn Féin in our last poll that was consistent with a number of polls in the first half of last year which showed that Sinn Fein support had plateaued and fallen a little if you took the aggregate anyway return of Mary Lou Macdonald who's also the most popular party leader though by a very tight margin over Micheál Martin um shows that Sinn Fein are 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 back on top and really we are a year maybe 18 months away from an election and the general picture of the Irish political landscape is that Sinn Fein are far out ahead and nailed on favorites to be uh, the largest party possibly by considerable distance uh, in uh, in the next all that is confirmed I suppose, by this morning's findings uh, of the poll, which show that uh, Mary Lou Macdonald is a number one, uh, number one choice for Taoiseach when people are asked who they want to be Taoiseach, and uh, that governments involving Sinn Féin are more popular than governments that, uh, containing any other combinations. So uh, in summary, we can
1: get into it a little bit, but that, that that's it so far. Yeah, and let's get into what it means in the future. But first, Harry, maybe can you, uh, I know it's a terrible thing to ask people to speculate, but can you speculate about what the little dip might have been caused by earlier in the year, now that the Sinn Féin ship appears to have been righted? Was it about things like proceedings before the courts and stuff like that? Anything else going on?
2: Yeah, the Jonathan Dowdall controversy Perhaps kind of led to uh, a bit of a blip for uh, Sinn Féin um, in terms of poll ratings, and also perhaps they might have been slightly behind the ball in relation to one or two um, issues. But other than that, I mean, they, they talk about kind of the poll of polls or consistency of polls. You know that there, there is no, there's, there's no doubt that anymore uh, that that Sinn Féin are the party that are primed to become the leading party in the next government if if the numbers turn out right for them, based on a succession of Irish Times poll results. I mean, they have consistently scored in the low to middle 30s, more or less since the 2020 election, uh, with Fianna Fáil and Fine Gael slipping down the snakes on the snakes and ladders board and failing to kind of uh, find any ladders with which to hold themselves up So at the moment, it looks like it's Sinn Féin all the way and Pat and others uh, who have been analysing and parsing the numbers have been pointing out in particular, you know, what seems like almost like a collapse in the traditional party support amongst the younger cohorts uh, in Irish society, especially those under uh, the age of 35. And that makes things quite difficult in terms of them trying to kind of resuscitate their fortunes not only for the next election but in the long term I mean if they're not getting support from under 35s you know you have to start worrying about the long term survival of both parties as separate entities
0: Harry's absolutely right about that right that you know over the long term in the medium term you know that there's a very real demographic problem uh, in Fianna Fáil Fianna Gael support for those parties particularly in Fianna Fáil support but the next election is, is going to be in the short term right the next election is going to be in 12-18 months time OK, and just thinking about that sort of timescale, actually you're probably better off having a support base that is skewed to the over 35s than the younger 35s because older voters are just more reliable to turn out. And
1: I think that point is uh, is, is sometimes lost. So um, do you think that might have a uh, exert downward pressure on the actual turnout for Sinn Féin when the real election happens? Well, I think that, you know statistically and in in
0: the past younger voters are less likely to turn out they're less reliable voters than
1: older voters can i on ask average. you can i ask you in relation to that in american polls which can be very um, all over the place a lot of the time but they all often talk a lot about likely voters do we have any kind yeah, of sense Yeah we've got of that? a
0: screen for um for we ask people how likely they are to vote and how much they think their vote matters and we tend to discount then People who say that their votes don't matter because they're very, uh, they're unlikely okay. to, to turn up on the day, and there is a bit of a kind of like this is the the art as much as the science in polling is trying to figure out who is likely actually to turn up on the day. I mean, I think you know, there's no doubt, and I know Una has been writing recently about the potential for a sort of a home to vote movement amongst young people uh, to. Be generated in advance of the next election, as which, we had
1: in certain referendums. Yes, yeah. yeah,
0: yeah. Now, leaving aside altogether the question of whether that would be legal, um, it is. Uh, it, 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 it certainly, uh, I, I think, it's a it's a possibility not to be discounted. But I'd be very surprised if we saw it happening in meaningful numbers in the way that we might have done in the uh, in in the previous referendum. But that having been said, and the potential, if anyone is going to get real momentum. Seems to me in this uh, election campaign, then it's it's more likely to be Sinn Fein than uh, than anybody else. But I think there's two points to bear in mind, right? Um, in, in qualification of that, the first is that we are, as I keep saying, a year or eighty months away from a general election campaign. If you go back to every general election, including 2007 and every election since then, the eventual result has looked quite different to the result that looked. Inevitable, a year out from uh, from polling. So, so just
1: take us briefly to that. In 2007, Fine Gael underperformed their Fine Gael underperformed. In 2011, Labour underperformed Fine Gael did much better. Yeah. In Remember Gilmore for Taoiseach in indeed. advance of in that? In 2016, Fine G- Scale, underperformed under again. again. Fianna Fail did a lot better than people expected. And then in twenty twenty Sinn Féin exceeded expectations, or at least there are exceeded
0: expectations. People will remember that the local yeah. and Europeans a mm-hmm. year before the general election had been actually quite disastrous for, for for Sinn Féin. So there is often a change in the last year, and very often that change occurs quite late. I'm not saying that it will happen, or who, or, or, or that that will definitely happen, or if it does, who it might benefit. I'm just saying it's something to bear in mind because it's happened in every election since 2007. Final point I make about it is one about government, uh, is a government formation. I'm writing a little bit about this in uh, in today's paper. And it's that on the basis of these numbers, they're just, just leaving aside for a moment everything I've just said. And let's say you get something like these numbers in uh, in in a general election campaign. It's hard to see the government that comes out of it. There isn't the numbers for our reformation of the current government, at least without support from maybe Labour, Social Democrats, uh, independents. There isn't the numbers there for a left-bled government. And in fact, it is becoming clear, I think, in these numbers that many of the Sinn Féin gains will be made by squeezing up the uh, the smaller opposition parties. So the left-led Sinn Féin government that doesn't include either Fianna Fáil or Fianna Gael isn't there on the basis of these numbers. So then you are looking at... Unless one or two, on, on, uh, then most likely, then you're looking at Fianna Fáil, Sinn Féin, or Fine Gael, Sinn Féin. Let's discount the latter because I don't think
1: the party would wear. And Although you know, I did know that six, six percent of respondents liked the idea of a Fine Gael Sinn Féin government. They, they obviously like to take a bit of a risk. with things. Yeah, that's that's six percent though, not sixty okay. percent
0: uh, of it. And so the question then becomes: What's the possibility of that of that Sinn Féin? Uh, Fianna Fáil combination. If you delve into some of the things and and you know we asked not just in today's poll we asked not just who do you want to see in government but we also asked who do you not want to see in government. The two top parties uh, on the negative stakes uh, in that question were Sinn Féin and and the Green Party uh, both of which attracted the, uh, uh, the, the antipathy of 31% uh, of respondents to the poll. If you look at the Fianna Fáil voters on that question, nearly half of them nominate Sinn Féin as the party that they do not want to see in government. Again, if you look at Fianna Fáil voters on the questions of preferred government combinations, just 14% of Fianna Fáil voters favour a Fianna Fáil Sinn Féin government. Now, that doesn't map exactly onto Fianna Fáil members, but presumably there is some correlation there. And bear in mind that Fianna Fáil members would have to approve any coalition deal between Sinn Féin and Fianna Fáil. So I just think that the the process of government formation, if we get anything like these numbers, the process of government formation is A, going to be long and convoluted and B, may involve some very difficult questions for Fianna Fáil. One last question before
1: I go to Harry on the implications of this. What's the feeling on the Sinn Féin side among Sinn Féin supporters? I mean, how do they feel about a coalition with Fianna Fáil? We know Sinn Féin is a very, you know, it's a very disciplined party, so they mightn't have too many difficulties with their members if they decide to go in a certain direction. But there's presumably a lot of the the constituency which Sinn Féin is appealing to is the same constituency that really has no time for, for Fianna Fáil at all. Good question, yeah.
0: So Sinn Féin, our Sinn Féin voters are not all that much more enthusiastic about it, so... You ask them about the, the Sinn Féin, Fianna Fáil coalition among Sinn Féin voters. That's the preference of just 15% of Sinn Féin voters, as opposed to 69% of them uh, looking preferring a uh, Sinn Féin-led coalition uh, of the left. You ask Sinn Féin voters who, which party they would want to exclude. 47% of them say Fianna Fáil, 48% of them say uh, Fianna Gael. Just... Just two other things I think to add to that though to complete the picture which is that I don't think it would be the case if there was a coalition deal negotiated by Fianna Fáil and Sinn Féin after the next election. Um, the the alternative perhaps being another election. Okay, So the Fianna Fáil leadership whoever it is at that time is not going to just take a punt on negotiating a deal with Sinn Féin and then putting it to an Nordesh, okay? It's going to be sure of what its members will tolerate. That's not a conversation that Fianna Fáil, the organisation, has had with itself yet, and it probably needs to get on with it. The other thing, it doesn't quite work in reverse. If Sinn Féin, if the Sinn Féin leadership brings a coalition deal, it will do so in the knowledge that its membership will go in behind it. How do we know that? Because that's what they have They've done never even, done anything different. That's what they've always done before in the past on any sub- substantive question.
1: So, Harry, what we have here is an apparently inexorable logic leading to a certain type of government formation. But that formation is essentially a shotgun wedding, which might store up all kinds of problems.
2: Yeah, I was kind of hoping that Pat would look up uh, what the chances of my horse uh, coming home at three o'clock in Doncaster is on Saturday. There's a big margin of error on that one, Harry. (laughs) Um, Yeah, well, it's interesting. And um, I I remember a long time ago uh, as a young reporter, 30 years ago, in fact, in 1992, being asked by the news editor in the Sunday press on a Saturday morning uh, to ring, it would have been in November of 1992, to... Ring around every imaginable Fianna Fáil backbencher to uh, assess if they were in favour of having uh, an unheard of coalition government with the Labour Party. Albert Reynolds uh, was then uh, the leader of Fianna Fáil and was a prospective Taoiseach. And I remember phoning um, them and I got quite a few of them and it was kind of landline only back then as far as I can recall. And the, the vast majority... Uh, all but two or three said that they were dead against forming a coalition with the Labour Party. Most of them, of course, were speaking off the record. A few went on the record, and one of those who was on the record at the time was one, Mihol Martin, who was a, a relatively young uh, a Fianna Fáil TD uh, for South Central at the time, who said he would have no difficulty uh, forming a, a coalition uh, with Sinn Féin. And uh, it duly happened, and all those who had been adamant that they, under over their dead body, would a uh, coalition be formed, meekly uh, went through the lobby gates and agreed to a co- coalition. So when you hear parties kind of make, drawing red lines privately uh, to you about government formation down the line, I always take it with a healthy dollop of salt, because I think that, that you know, After elections, people look at the reality of figures and the reality of government, what's possible and what's not possible. I think uh, Pat is correct. I think Fianna Gael and Sinn Féin can be excluded uh, because um, they're very different and I don't think that they would come together. But I do think that uh, Fianna Fáil and Sinn Féin is a possibility in the wake of, of an election, notwithstanding... What Fianna Fáil TDs would tell you that they don't really like Sinn Féin. They think they're incompatible. They think they still have legacy issues that they have to deal with from the north. Uh, They think that they are too cowardly on having a position in relation to climate change. And they also believe, to use uh, Ian Paisley's words from a long time ago, uh, that Sinn Féin must wear some more sackcloth and ashes. Notwithstanding all that, you know, I, I do think that if the numbers are there I think that the possibility of a Sinn fein Fail coalition after the next election would be a possibility. If that were to happen, it would mean that Micheál Martin would not be the person leading Fianna Fáil into that coalition. I can't see Micheál Martin, for one, uh, becoming Taoiseach in a coalition with Sinn Féin. But stranger things have happened. Uh, Maybe there might be a Damascene conversion on, on his part and on Sinn Féin's part. Uh, when it comes to that punch. But I do see it as a possibility, albeit a, a lesser possibility at the moment than Fianna Fáil and Fine Gael's desired outcome after the next election, uh, which, which would be a con- continuity of the present government with or without the Greens.
1: The highly unpopular Greens, that might be a subject for for another day, Pat. But finally, can I ask you, in relation to these these numbers that, that, that we've published this week, uh, sort of some challenges ahead for Fianna Fáil in terms of the options that might be there after the election, great opportunities for Sinn Féin. Is Fine Gael just slowly decaying inevitably into a period in opposition after its longest ever term in government? Is there any sense of a fight in them?
0: hard to see it really isn't it there's certainly no fight in their numbers they're kind of stuck on 18% TDs the latest this week being Charlie Flanagan announcing their uh, retirement and you know Leo Racker makes the point that look this is perfectly natural TDs step down all the time we've had a big bunch of Fine, Fine Gael TDs in for a long time and many of them uh, many of them are stepping down now but there is a sense of there is a sense of drift, maybe, uh, coming, you know, within within Fine Gael, Certainly, in so far as their polling numbers are uh, are are concerned, and uh, and there is concern within Fine Gael. Now they will hope that the budget will uh, give them the chance to to lift themselves, but you know, within the party and within the government more broadly, there is a you know there's a pretty robust conversation going on at the moment about you know just how prudent and careful and conservative that budget should be the Minister for Public Expenditure his Fianna Fáil counterpart Minister for Finance wanted to be as conservative as possible the others um, less so so um,
1: I think I'm you going know, to you your question I, yeah, I think there's Fianna Fáil are in some difficulty at the moment uh, you mentioned the budget, Pat, and uh, we are going to turn to that. But, of course, mentioning the budget gives me the opportunity to irritate our listeners yet again by reminding them that uh, if they are listeners but not subscribers to irishtimes.com, they're not getting the fantastic 360-degree experience which uh, subscribing to com and uh, getting the phone app as well um, will give them and it also allows us to continue doing this work. So if you like any of that, please do go to com slash subscribe. Harry, Pat mentioned the budget there. Um, I haven't talked to you for a long while about these issues. Are you talking to people about the goings-on behind the scenes?
2: Yes, I think we've all been talking to people about the goings-on behind the scenes. But the message that's been coming from the upper echelons uh, of government have been relatively uh, consistent uh, with one or two um, outliers, ministers who are probably trying to get some more uh, money into the into the begging bowl but if you look at um, the two people who are in control of the purse strings, Michael McGrath and Pascal Donoghue, what has struck me in the past week has been the consistency of the message that both have been talking about. Uh, for one, they've been trying to dampen expectations of any repeat of last year's uh, budget where there, were, where there was €4 billion Euro in once-off spending uh, to meet uh, the very big spike in energy prices last year as well as the uh, very real impact that inflation uh, has had. Inflation has continued this year, albeit at a lesser and falling rate uh, uh, compared uh, to last year. And there has been some steadying in terms of energy prices. So they they have been very uh, uh, consistent in saying that there won't be a €4 billion once-off package this year. It'll be way less uh, than that. And also, uh, they have um, been repeating ad nauseum uh, that the figures that they produced in the summary economic statement of an overall package of 6.25 billion euro uh, comprising uh, of uh, uh, including 1.1 billion in, in uh, a tax package will be what will be uh, coherent to, uh, sorry for that certainly clumsy phraseology, but they'll cohere to that for the budget and won't be raising it or won't be going outside the, the limits so if you're if they're staying within those parameters there's not a huge amount uh, of give because uh, you know with the impact of inflation uh, with the commitments they've already made in relation to public services in relation to uh, public pay agreements that leaves them with 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 very little wiggle room in in, in terms of fresh spending and then you have the demands uh, from services that are already overspending and the one that has been commanding all attention for the past Week or ten days has been held, which looks like you know it's 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 got another hole of a billion euro. I can't remember a year in recent history in which the health services didn't have a deficit or a hole of of a billion euro uh, and had to look for more money from the minister uh, for for finance. So it, it looks like the the package will be tight. It looks like the giveaways will be limited, and I I, I think that uh, you know. we we heard politically over the past year that there might be a prospect of an election budget or kind of a giveaway spending budget uh, to kind of butter people up uh, in advance of the next general election. From all I've been hearing from the last week, uh, this isn't going to be it. So perhaps there'll be an election budget next year, uh, just before an election. Uh, We don't know, but this one certainly isn't going to fit that particular bill. Mm,
0: I wonder though, I wonder. uh, I I suspect that there will be a push to... We know that there's going to be 6.4 billion euro budget, which is pretty hefty. Let's face it. Um, so the real pull and drag, I guess, will take place on the the, the, the once-off uh, top ups, which are now, of course, twice-off uh, top ups. Both um, Pascal Donahue, Michael McGrath said, and I, in fact Tishk said as well. Oh, well, it's not going to be as high as last year. It's not going to be four billion. So I would say that's where the could be three point nine. Could be three point nine. Yeah.
2: See. Do you think it's going to
0: be 3.9, pass No, I don't, but I don't think it's going to be nearer 4 than 3.
2: One of the things that's
1: being discussed in the run-up to the budget is a different approach to certain benefits, and particularly disability benefits, some debate about introducing a kind of tiered system of benefits, which I gather doesn't exist at the moment. I was quite taken, maybe too much, Pat. Uh, maybe I, I'm spending too much time inside Leo Veradker's brain. But by his response to one of the questions about this, where where he was asked if he had seen the film I Daniel Blake, and he replied that he had indeed seen it, and it was a it was a very good film. But that he had also seen the TV series Benefit Street, um, another British TV series on the same subject, really about austerity in Britain in the in in the 2010s, but with a very different a, a, approach to it. This has Outrage. Um, I was kind of fascinated. I was first fascinated that that Leo Radker had seen I Daniel Blake. I, I never had a picture of him coming home on a Friday night, getting the pizza and sitting on the couch with Matt and saying, "What are we going to watch?" I thought he was more of a love actually chap. I am I'm
0: I'm blithely ignorant I have to say of the T-shirt's televisual habits on uh, on a Friday night or if indeed he is a stay at home on a Friday night quiet and have a quiet night in sort of fella
1: But Ken uh, Loach the director <coughs> a famous Jeremy Corbyn supporter um a, you know long standing marxist very highly regarded director makes gritty hyper realistic dramas about what's wrong with Tory Britain I'm surprised that it's on his viewing list
0: Well uh, maybe I'm not to be honest um he might be Watching it, you know with a critical eye, perhaps, but i'm no i'm not I'm not oh that's a
1: surprised, you know maybe, maybe it's, he's got more
0: time in his hands than I thought, you know, but
1: it looked like as I said maybe i, I spent too too much time inside his brain but but he he seems like he he seems to be doing quite a bit of trolling lately i mean this is like this is this just a bit of two sidesism
0: you know is he is he just saying you know, yes, you know there are people desperately in need of benefits, but you know. We also, as a fiscally responsible government, have to, be, have to ensure that, you know, the people who are on welfare benefits deserve it. And, and
1: are not dodgy and are not, characters, as some of the people in Benefit Street were um, I, well, I, I, or depicted. I, I yield to your knowledge of the um, series in question. I haven't seen it. Uh, Harry, maybe he was bo- both sides in here, but I, I'm going to stick to my trolling argument because looking at the reaction of it, there was absolute apoplexy, moral outrage that such a thing should ever be said.
2: What do you think? Yeah, I can see toys flying everywhere out of prams, all over Twitter and social media. And to me, it's a non-argument. I mean, he made a comment on it. I I thought the comment was, I I wouldn't have agreed with it, but I thought that it was relatively fair. He said he saw it, he thought it was very good. Uh, He thought the people who were in the film were deserving. But then he said, on the other side, I've also seen Benefit Street. And Benefit Street featured people who perhaps might not have been entitled uh, to everything that they were 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 getting, and some of them might have been gaming the system. And he was making a political point, and that's where he's coming from on the political spectrum. And that's the kind of political point I'd expect him to make. So, if Paul Murphy or Keenan Callahan or or our uh, Pierce Doherty or Ono Brin or Louise O'Reilly was standing up and commenting on the film, I I, I would expect them to make uh, different points in relation to it. So it was fair comment in my thing because it was coming from a per- from a person with a particular particular political uh, perspective. I think you're a little bit hard on Leo Vradker's viewing habits again. Uh, again, again. <laughs> I, I, I don't he might occasionally look at Love Island but he does He, he he's you know he does
1: I, I, did, no, I didn't say Love Island I said Love Actually not quite the same
2: Oh Love Actually <laughs> sorry Love Actually yeah. It's a well, sequel is it? Maybe Love Island as well uh, no Harman's looking at a little bit of Love Island just to kind of keep yourself um, I think we're getting
1: an insight into your viewing habits now Harry Christ almighty um,
2: Well I've looked at all of Ken Loach's films and I, and I really like Ken Loach but I, I disagree fundamentally with the politics of some of the films that he's had and I disagree with the particular slant that 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 he has had. But I think that some of his films from Kes in the 1960s, which is a masterpiece, to The Wind that Chucked the Barley, which is a modern masterpiece, have been just amazing uh, films, as have a lot uh, of his other work. But just because you like Ken Luch doesn't necessarily agree uh, that you, or doesn't necessarily mean that you agree uh, with his particular take uh, on the work. Because I, I read back to Leo vradker 's uh, statement and I I actually saw there was I mean what's what's all this about I mean I couldn't see the fuss I am
0: kind of I'm kind of in the same place Harry I mean is is his crime actually having mentioned this benefit street program which casts an unflattering light on some benefit claimants. Is, it was criticised
1: at the time. as, But by the way, I'm not attacking it at all. I just find it, I find it slightly amusing that he managed successfully to troll, you know, the, the right-thinking people on the opposite benches with is this the comparison. You simply know? mentioning this programme?
2: I don't know if he particularly set out to troll them. But I think he, he set out doing it in kind of the Leo Varadkar way. You know, he...
0: I think Hugh is overthinking
2: Mister it. Mr. Factoid, these are the facts as I see them before me. Okay, okay. Okay, I am going to now I'm going to climb
1: out of Leo Varadkar's head and I promise not to not to go back in there again. <laughs> now, moving on every every uh, Friday on this particular wrap of the week, we ask our uh our contributors to nominate an article from the Irish Times that that took their fancy. And uh, I'm actually going to go first uh, this week. I'm going to mention Dermot Ferriter, who brings uh, a cool analytic historian's eye to a question which has been bothering people on the internet for the last six or seven days or so about the singing of Zombie by the Cranberries after the uh, famous victory over South Africa by Ireland in Paris at the World Cup last uh, uh, last weekend. And Diarmuid goes through very well the, the, the quite tortured and tortuous and interesting history of sporting organisations in Ireland, which ones separated at the time of partition and which ones didn't, and how the ones which didn't, in particular the Irish Rugby Football Union, managed to keep uh, the different parts of the island and the different traditions reconciled over, you know, a very troublesome century or more as as it is now. Um, I, I'm bringing this up because I think it's a good way to put a full stop to a conversation which is, uh, speaking on my own experience of the ads I got on Twitter about writing on this seven days ago, I think I've had quite enough of it anyway and I'm 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 happy to move on. Pat, what was your article?
0: Well, uh, it's a series of articles really. I've been following closely the um uh, the thrilling saga of the uh, the drugs bust off the coast of County Cork um, uh, during during the week. People will be familiar with it at all. But one point that doesn't seem to be brought out as far as I can see is the um, uh, the, the, the fact that these drug smugglers, they weren't exactly top of the class drug smugglers in so far as i can see so what, what do you mean pat so the, are, are you sure you aren't defaming anybody here so the the two, the two lads who sailed the trawler from castletown Beer and then ran it aground on a sandbar off county wexford which is marked on all the charts etc and then has to be had to be rescued by a helicopter and in the course of which were Pinched seemed to be matched in their idiocy by the by, by the mothership, which had sailed from uh, from South America, developed engine trouble on the uh, while it was trundling up the Irish Sea, ended up drifting back down the Irish Sea and had to call for assistance. Meanwhile, the captain, who may have been you know a little bit too familiar with his own cargo, had some sort of a blackout, fell and bumped his head. <laughs> I mean I mean maybe the international uh, international drug smugglers are um
1: are just being squeezed by a very tight labor market and are just finding it hard to get uh, to get good people or maybe there's so many of them floating around the coast of Ireland at this point that there's bound to be these kind of Egypts who just get themselves caught but the other 99 get through very possibly, and
0: all, all, all of which suggests to me that my long-term plan for retirement, which is to you know move to Kerry or West Cork, buy a little sailing boat, and maybe do a bit of freelance drug smuggling, and um, the uh, uh, as as a sideline, is um,
1: maybe the time's come. Indeed, indeed, or or Florida, if you prefer the weather, I prefer the weather in West Cork, oh. honest. Harry, what was your article?
2: Um, my article was uh, slightly less uh, less exotic. Uh, Michael McDougall uh, railing again. Uh, about uh, the uh, aesthetics of Dublin. A couple of weeks ago, he was giving out about graffiti and uh, generates a lot of publicity. Now it's the turn of Dublin City Council to come into his firing line. He describes Dublin as ugly, uh, that there's no uh, aesthetics, that there's no sense of making the ugly buildings he sees everywhere, making them beautiful. And he said, uh, what is impeding the creation of a beautifully restored urban core for Dublin is an almost suffocating paralysis on the part of the agency to which the responsibility to use its powers, Dublin City Council as Planning and Housing Authority. One of the interesting references he made is to the White Street Commission from the 18th century. Uh, and he wants a 21st century reincarnation of that. And that was an agency that actively surveyed dereliction, underuse and redevelopment, cleared them out and gave Dublin uh, the wide streets uh, that it had in the 19th uh, century. So uh, Michael MacDougall sounds like he's on a on a bit of a crusade at the moment to beautify our capital city. Yeah, I,
1: I, I should just say he was writing in response to a, a number of articles which we published last weekend, and they're still available online. They work very well online because there's some interesting mapping um, exercises in them, which go to show. Uh, In real terms, exactly what he's talking about in terms of the number of empty buildings in the city centre and the number of derelict sites in the city centre and the general rag order of of the place. And I'd recommend anybody who hasn't seen those, including there's a list of, I think, 16 places that are just absolutely appalling condition and many of them owned by state organisations or the council. It's a very, very difficult job for the local authority
0: to CPO derelict sites and then develop them. It's a very easy job for the local authority to actually
1: keep the streets clean, which is one of the things that it doesn't do particularly well. Are you going to be talking about the smell of urine again, Pat? No, I I think that goes without saying. Harry, last word to you.
2: Um, yeah, Olivia Kelly had a very good article about the efforts, uh, uh, how difficult it, it, it is to CPO some properties. So she referenced a Georgian pro- property in Dublin uh, that has been just left into disgraceful dereliction for years. And finally now DCC is uh, going to uh, go to the courts in order to secure a CPO uh, for that particular uh, property. But like everything else on housing and property, nothing is easy nothing is easy at all unfortunately
1: pretty grim in all senses of the word but on that grim note we will leave it there thanks very much to Pat and Harry thanks to our producer Declan Conlon and to JJ Vernon on the desk we'll be back very soon indeed until then have a lovely weekend